You're listening to Sermons by the Park from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepard, and on behalf of the members of our church, let me just say what a blessing it is to have you listen to the message we're sharing and to become a part of what God is up to over here in our little corner of creation. To learn more about Union, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org. Friends, we live in trying times. There's no doubt about it. There's global conflicts and catastrophes, political and economic uncertainty, cultural changes, generational shifts, and oh yeah, all of the usual trials and triumphs of just being human. Even if you look around and think to yourself, I don't know, pastor, life seems pretty good to me. Don't worry, we all have our trying times. In the church, we set aside 40 days leading up to Holy Week and the celebration of Easter as a time of trial, a time of testing what God can do and what we can do with God. The prophet Malachi wrote, Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. Friends, I pray that you may experience that overflowing flowing blessing, even in trying times. Now here's this week's message. Our first scripture reading today comes from Judges 13, verses 1 through 5 and 24 through 25a. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren, having borne no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said, Although you are barren, having borne no children, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or to eat anything unclean, for you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor is to come on his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from birth. It is he who shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. The woman bore a son and named him Samson. The boy grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him up. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Well, this week on Friday morning, I got up nice and early and I took a look in the mirror and I thought you know my beard is looking a little shaggy I think I'll give it a trim so I got out the trimmer and I clipped on the guard and I took a swipe on my chin and then I realized that I was doing a lot more than trimming uh, a lot more trimming than I had expected Uh, and you know at that point I was committed so I just kind of went from there and so for the past few days I've been catching others and myself a little by surprise uh, with, uh, with my appearance. I don't look like myself to myself. And thank God that hair grows back. That's all I can say about that. But speaking of unfortunate haircutting incidents that make one unrecognizable to themselves, we are looking this morning in our sermon series on trying times at the story of the Israelite leader, Samson. Carrie read for us his origin story, how he was set aside before birth to be uh, what was called a Nazarite. He was dedicated to God from the womb. 
This covenant between God and Samson would dictate both what he could and could not eat or drink, and significantly how he could, or more accurately could not, cut his hair. That's the part about no razor shall touch his head. So when the spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson, it gave him an incredible superhuman strength. He was like the Captain America or the Thor of of the biblical cinematic universe. Of course, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is how we mythologize our time, and the book of Judges, in a lot of ways, is kind of like that. It it contains these tall tales of a tumultuous and difficult time in the life of the people of Israel. Samson was a, a judge, a leader of the people of Israel, in a time when they were under the rule of the Philistines. But as you heard the angel say, that he was the one who was going to begin to deliver that is, he was the one who was beginning to save, to rescue the Israelites from that oppressive rule. And like in a Marvel movie, Samson does this through tremendous acts of violence, uh, which you can read in chapters 14 and 15 of Judges. The spirit of the Lord is described as rushing on Samson, almost like he was overpowered by it. I think he's kind of like the Hulk when the spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he would... He would be able to kill dozens, even hundreds of enemies at a time. Yet the myth of Samson is also a very tragic human story. A man who longed for love, but looked for it in all the wrong places. His first wife is written about in chapter 14. He took her into his confidence, but then she revealed a closely guarded secret of his to his enemies, and that brought their marriage to an end. He led the people of Israel for 20 years, which was a significant feat during that period of time. Most of the other leaders would lead for two, three, five years at most. But Samson was a leader for a long time. He must have been quite good at it. Yet all that time, he seems to have wanted something more. The narrative keeps bringing us back that Samson wanted something more than kingship. He wanted kinship. He wanted love. And so he went looking. And so that's where the story picks up for us here today in chapter 16, verse 4. Let's continue to listen for the word for us here today. After these things, Samson fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, Coax him, find out what makes his strength so great and how we may overpower him so that we may bind him in order to subdue him and we will... Each of us give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes your strength so great and how you could be bound so that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they, uh, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings not dried out, then I shall become weak and be like everyone else. So the lords of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not dried out, and she bound him with them. And while the men were lying in wait in an inner chamber, she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings, as a strand of fiber snaps when it touches the flame. So the secret of his strength was still not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me, how could you be bound? He said to her, If they bind me with uh, new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. 
So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson! Again, the men are lying in wait in the inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes right off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you could be bound. So he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and make it tight with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair and wove them into a web and made them tight with a pin. Then she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke up pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me three times now and have not told me what makes your strength so great. Finally, after she had nagged him with her words day after day and pestered him, he grew tired even unto death. And so he told her his whole secret. He said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, then my strength would leave me. I would become weak and be like anyone else. When Delilah realized he had told her his whole secret, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, This time come up, for he has told his whole secret to me. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She let him fall asleep on her lap, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. He began to weaken, and his strength left him. Then she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. When he awoke from his sleep, he thought, I'll go out, just as the other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. So the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. The story of Samson and Delilah has been fodder for artists and playwrights for centuries. It's good material. But I have to say that unlike some of the other stories in the Bible, stories like that of Adam and Eve, which is, which is meant to be a myth about humanity in general, teach us lessons about humankind as a whole, this is not a story that is generalizable in the same way. This is more like a Greek tragedy. This is a character study about a particular people, a particular person in a particular situation, choosing how they act and living with the consequences. This is a story about a time of trial, a specific kind of trial. Despite the fact that Samson is explicitly described as a man of violence and even a mass murderer, The funny thing about this story is that it has traditionally been Delilah who gets the most attention and the most scorn because she is Delilah, the foreign woman, the temptress, the one who nagged Samson into giving up the source of his power. There are many, many a Bible verse 
about the evils and the wiles of the foreign woman. You can find them in Proverbs. You can find them everywhere. And so people like to belabor this point about Delilah. But, but before we go too far down that road, let me just make two quick notes about Delilah. First, Delilah does, is not acting out of some inherent passion or motivation to, to destroy Samson. She has her reasons for what she's doing. The leaders of the Philistines, we heard, came to her and they gave her an offer. They offered her 1,100 shekels of silver from each of the leaders if, they would, if, if she would give them the secret. Now, if you are not versed in biblical monetary policy, a shekel is a silver coin used throughout the region from about the time of Hammurabi until uh, the Greeks came through and took over and changed the coinage over to Greek coins. In the time of the Bible, the average day laborer, it is believed, uh, would have earned between two and ten shekels per month. So that means a year's wages for most workers would have been at best 120 shekels. And so 1,100 shekels, then, is nine years' worth of wages. That's a lot of wages. If you lower it to the minimum wage of two shekels, that's 45 years of wages. If you translate that into today's dollars and cents and at the federal minimum wage, which somehow still managed to, to sit at $15,000 a year, the payout comes to $678,000 per liter. That's the minimum level. Now here in Massachusetts, minimum wage was just raised to $15 an hour, so the payout is more like $1.5 million per liter. Okay? Delilah is getting mega millions money here. And of course, this money is obviously intentionally inflated. It's an absurd offer. It's meant to indicate how much the Philistines feared Samson, how much they valued knowing his secret. But consider it from Delilah's perspective. I mean, what reason does she not have to take up that offer? That's solve your problems kind of money, especially for an unwed woman of that time in an oppressively patriarchal society. Now, Samson was said to have loved her, but we have no idea how she felt about him. Given his penchant for sudden and unexpected fits of violence, I can't imagine he was great boyfriend material. And aside from that, we are told very clearly that these two come from different cultures, different worlds. She from the land of the Philistines, he an Israelite. Her values are not his values. So maybe give Delilah a second thought this morning, not as the seductress, but as a strong, capable woman put in an unenviable situation, who nevertheless shows herself to be every bit as ruthless and capable as Samson is in making her own fortune and then quietly leaving the narrative in peace, taking her money and going to retire somewhere. But of course, just because Delilah's is a story of worldly success does not mean she is the hero here. I'm not saying that. There are no heroes in this story. It is a tragic story. It is a tragedy. Samson is fatally flawed. The whole book of Judges is full of these tragic stories. It's from a time when Israel had no king. It often says in that book, everyone did what they saw as good in their own sight. 
Judges describes a time of self-seeking, a time of ambition, a time of vainglorious pride. And Samson, though he knew the source of his strength and kept that secret for well over two decades, even Samson was a man of those times. His character was shaped by them. His sharp edges were smoothed out through constant and persistent influence. Today, many young people aspire to be influencers. Actually, people of all ages aspire to be influencers. Some of the best influencers, I think, are the grandma influencers. What it means to be an influencer is to gather a large following on social media. You produce content that gets people's attention and generates interest, and that in turn creates more influence and more attention and more influence, and all of this presumably comes with the prospect of great fortune. Now, every time I think about influencers, I think about an old episode of the rather raunchy animated show South Park, in which the, the kids, the characters there, are raising money, and they want to raise money from the internet by becoming sort of viral video sensations. And so they, they put up this video, and, and the video takes off, and they become influencers. And at the end of the episode, they go to the Colorado Department of Internet Money, where they can collect their earnings, and they receive 10 million theoretical dollars, which are printed on clear plastic checks and have, obviously, no real value. That kind of influence, perhaps, does not have the kind of value we think it creates. Samson's story indicates to us that our purpose in life is less defined by the value we create in our times and more by the values out of which we live. Worldly success comes after and not before the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. His ability to lead and to overpower came even before he was born, even before he could earn that somehow. It was kept and maintained by his parents who remembered the words of the angel and they kept up their end of the bargain. If anyone is the influence in this story, it is, it is the parents who made sure Samson grew up knowing where he came from, knowing his values. But in the end, it seems as though this covenant with God that kept him strong was still not enough for Samson. Because what is strength when you feel lonely? What is the gift of prophecy or leadership or influence, the Apostle Paul once wrote, without love? So Samson went searching, but what he found was someone who did not share his values. Now, it is, of course, possible to have deep and lasting love across cultural and even religious differences, but if there is no common ground in which love can grow, no common sense of its source and its trajectory, then a relationship is doomed to be nothing more than a kind of parallel self-seeking, which is not healthy for anyone, where one party is using the other. And that's clearly what happens here with Samson and Delilah. Samson, he had his ruses. He had his fun keeping Delilah in the dark about his big secret. In spite of his love for her, he chose to keep that secret. That secret that it was God who loved him first. God loved him and set him apart for a special and unique calling, and he did not want anyone else to know it. But the funny thing about Samson's secret is that that is the very same secret that Jesus came and proclaimed as good news 
for all to hear. Jesus told his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. His love comes first. And so as they, as they lived up to that calling, as they fulfilled that greatest commandment of his, that became the disciples' calling card. When Jesus had gone and all that was left of him was the church, his living body here on earth, when it lives up to its calling, it, it does that. It loves in a way that Jesus loves. And when the church does that, it draws people into it. People come. People want to see. People want to know that secret. I mean, imagine those disciples who had seen Jesus do all these wondrous things, who had seen him live, who had seen him die, who had seen him rise again. They had seen all of these amazing things, and they were not afraid to tell people about them. They had seen God's love poured out into the world, and that good news was so infectious that people just started coming to it again and again and again. But today, today many of us keep our faith as if it is our little secret. As if, like Samson, if we were to tell people that we trust in Jesus, that we have hope about things like justice and peace and joy, that it would somehow taint that thing, that it would make our whole secret less whole, or perhaps that it would make others think of us as, as Jesus freaks or something like that. And obviously, Samson's story shows us that it can be difficult and dangerous and costly even to reveal a secret, our whole secret, our little secret of great hope to others in our lives. It can be costly to reveal it even to the people closest to us. But we shouldn't take that the wrong way. Jesus, Jesus shows us in this Lenten season in the story of his passion and his death and his resurrection that just because something is difficult and dangerous and costly does not mean it is not worth doing. The heart shackles, poet Mary Oliver once wrote, are not, as you think, Death, illness, pain, unrequited hope, not loneliness, but lassitude, rue, vainglory, fear, anxiety, and selfishness. Those are the things that shackle our hearts. But Jesus came and said, do not be afraid. Jesus said, do not worry. Jesus said, serve others. Jesus calls us to unshackle our hearts in the love of others and to take up his way, knowing that it comes with a cross to bear. When Samson allowed who he was to be cut away from him by the influence of others, he lost his strength and his vision. He became weak. He became blind. And even if you are strong in body and your eyes see clearly, perhaps you have known what it is like to lose heart, to lose hope, to lose your vision. But in this story, and in our lives, God does not abandon us, even if we run from God. Because God didn't even abandon Samson, flawed though he was. That last verse, as soon as it had been cut, his hair began to grow again. The story goes on that 
that Samson was down there in the prison and then the Philistines called to have him paraded in front of them to make a fool out of him. And Samson called upon God to just give him his strength back. He felt it coming back as his hair had been growing that whole time he was down there in the prison. And he called on God and he said, give me my strength back just one more time. One more time to fight back against the influence of this world and to fulfill who God made him to be, to deliver and to save. And God delivers and saves. And so, friends, in a time of trial, remember that God's grace is not conditioned upon our integrity. Our integrity is conditioned upon God's grace. This is our little secret. Now go and tell everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message encouraged you, maybe challenged you, but connected with you somehow. If you'd like to connect with us, you can reach out on Facebook or Instagram at Church by the Park. The theme music you hear is Just Do It by RKVC. Until next time, may the grace and peace of Christ be with you.